Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voice of Olympus. I'm Hercules Invictus, and tonight is our Optimal Wellness Show. We start off with Age of Heroes, featuring women's empowerment psychologist, Dr. Barbara Becker-Holstein. Barbara is an old friend, and she's done a lot of amazing things throughout her career, and especially uh, recently, so I'm glad to have her on. Greetings and welcome, Barbara. Hi, Hercules. I'm so delighted to be with you tonight. Yes. Me too. Yes. It's, it's been a while, and uh, you're doing some amazing uh, things. Uh, I want to hear all about the Selfie Project. Yes. Well, I'd like to talk about that. The Selfie Project is designed to give the voices of kids a way to really be heard and make a difference in our society as well as to help them feel they've not only been listened to, but perhaps receive suggestions, advice that may be extremely important for the particular person. And so this is the way uh, it's working right now. And also I can talk a little bit about my fantasies, my hopes for it. Okay. I've made, I've made a pilot show called The Selfie Project, and in that show, I invited four girls to think of what really bothered them, what's on their minds, and then to go home and in the privacy of their own bedrooms or wherever um, to do a selfie about two minutes long at most where they talk about what's on their minds. And each of the four girls chose a completely different subject, although they all involve, to some extent, uh, social life and peer pressure. Uh, One of them chose a first date, a first boyfriend looming, and really uh, she wanted advice around the subject we've all gone through. 
at some point, uh, the first date, the first love, that kind of thing. Another girl chose the feelings of rejection that a best friend had had when this girl made some other friends, and she had no intention of rejecting this girl, but the girl took it that way, and there were problems related. Uh, There was another girl where there were social problems in terms of the little crowd that she was in, and they were taking sides so that the, the crowd actually kind of split in two, and it was quite devastating. And then uh, the other girl had issues around doing a shared project for school, and um, the um, kids on the project, uh, for whatever reason, blackmailed her for a time. Mm. These were all very real things happening to kids 14, 15 years old. And um, after they turned in their selfies, All we did is clean them up a little bit by editing out some seconds here and there, fixing the focus if we possibly could, just so it's more presentable. But we didn't change a word that they said. And what we did was after the public has a chance to watch the selfies on on this film, then you see I come on the scene and um, I'm the expert for this particular show. And we have a roundtable discussion around the different social anxieties, uh, social problems that these kids have brought up, um, social media, the angst that they go through. And we came up with some recommendations. And each girl actually ended up feeling she had solved her problem quite a bit. Um, This was just one show of 22 minutes and the idea behind this show would be a series where every week there would be either the well there would be let's say four other kids or three or four or five kids Mm -hmm. Um, maybe maybe boys maybe focusing on girls some of this has not been fully decided Um, and there would be different experts I feel I can be an expert on many subjects, but there are many subjects where I would not not be an expert, and I'd be inviting someone like you, Hercules. Let's say there's a group of boys with certain social subjects and so on, or other things. Maybe wow. their bodies, strengthening their bodies. I know you're, you know, you're, you're very, I think that's a very important thing that men, well, I'll let you speak to that, but Okay. You would be the right expert. So you would Thank come you. on. And, and um, if there's somebody, if the discussion is around, say, eating disorders and uh, body issues with girls, there might be a physician that focuses on that. It would not necessarily be me. So I'm not trying to own the whole program. I am owning the concept, the, the, the concept that selfies, are not just some strange little extra thing we get to do with our smartphones and isn't it cute, you know, to take a picture when we're, when we're traveling or the, obviously more than cute, the family gets together, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Or a silly video because the cat is, you know, the cat is obviously a 
reincarnated as a great composer and the cat makes music, you know. And so we now can easily record it. That's great. But selfies are an emotional, mental hygiene tool that never existed before. Right. And, and you're, way, you've always been very innovative. You've always been very innovative. And uh, all of your entertainments uh, have in the past uh, focused uh, uh, very powerfully on uh, helping people. Uh, through the, the programs that you've designed. And you've just designed some very creative uh, programs uh, in the past when we were more involved with each other uh, in what we were doing. And uh, I enjoyed watching this pilot very much, and people can still catch it on uh, Vimeo, I believe. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, it's not completely open. Some of the trailers are totally public, but anybody who would like to see the 22-minute um, show can write to me at barbara.holstein at gmail.com. And I'm really quite willing to, you know, have them watch it. It's, it's, and, of course, it's been in film festivals, and then it gets a, gets a crowd. Um, but I will not withhold it from anybody if you just get in touch with me. Um, I was going to say when... I was creative years ago. I guess it's maybe, well, it doesn't matter. It was just yesterday that <laughs> we worked together, you know. Yes. And actually, I had this show, The Enchanted Self, and I would doll myself up as an enchantress with a headdress of some sort and a costume and had flowers, artificial flowers all around and and I think the best times I ever had on the show was when Hercules came on as my partner. We kind of did the show together and um, went through the seven gateways to happiness and other subjects, all related to positive states of, of wellness mm-hmm. that people can learn to do more often with themselves. And, uh, you know, that was really great fun and and I, you know, I enjoyed I already, it too. Yeah, I know you enjoyed it, and I hope we can get one round uh, on something else that I'm doing. That's an outgrowth of the the selfie project. Are my podcasts? The Enchanted Self presents podcasts, some of which are around the selfie project. And I thought that, um, well, I'll just finish with Hercu- Hercules. I'm hoping that you can come on as a guest on that. I would love that. You know, a kind of retro look at both of, uh, you know, our early works and and where we're both trying to go at this point in our careers, where we are going. So um, how I use the selfie project on the podcast show is, a little different than if uh, what I've been doing in the Selfie Project um, uh, uh, show that is a um, sample show that might run every week. And that is that I'll have on a couple of kids that do their selfies at home on a subject that they pick, but I'll also have maybe some parents or I might have a principal of a public school um, I might have a movement educator, uh, I'm trying to, a psychologist, so that 
we are doing an even more eclectic arranging of kids needing a voice. Well, they have their voice, but having a way to have their voices heard and better understood um, along with um, people that are in their lives like parents, teachers, principals, uh, and maybe people that aren't in their lives like, um, say, a policeman or someone else related to, uh, you know, working with the public and Let's see how we can all get together and and experience um, a communal growth and appreciation for each other, which I think we desperately need in our culture. I, I agree with you 100%. That is very much needed in our culture. Hey, are um, you still um, with some of the wonderful people? Uh, you always open very many doors um, and uh, you uh, connected me with some really wonderful people like uh, um, Vince Wright and the Grunbergs. Are you still in contact with them? Um, uh, Vince, um, occasionally, what was the other name you said? The Grunbergs. They were two brothers and they had uh, uh, an agency that uh, uh, worked with uh, homeless people in uh, downtown oh, New yeah. York. They have big news, yeah. the newspaper. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. You know, I wish I were in contact, but no, I'm not. Um, we had so many interesting guests. And even before I separated off uh, in a monthly show of my own, this whole um, these, I don't know what to call it, but there were a group of us putting together the weekly shows. And um, May, I don't remember her last name. May Eisenberg. Yeah, May Eisenberg was like a beacon. And she yeah. was, um, you know, she was full of life and vitality, well up in years, who really gave, I think, the glue to all of us to feel yes. courageous and sit through this kind of strange TV studio. You never knew if a man who ran it was going to be in a horrible mood and right. what cameras would get or which cameraman, uh, how the lighting would be. Could they find my song or did they have to just pipe in some some song that had nothing to do with me? You know, it was, <laughs> and then we had to live through correcting I don't know if we really corrected the tapes, but we had a look at the tapes afterwards. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it was just it was just the enterprise of love and courage to be of public service in whatever way we each had a specialty. And it it, it was again it was the the beginning, and uh, it allowed us to be uh, creative. And uh, uh, that creativity uh, started. We were initially guests on May's uh, show, Uniquely You Now, and then Jean Cirillo, her co-host, left and went to Jenny Jones. Uh, So that vacuum, our our shows uh, grew, and uh, uh, there there was a lot of experimentation, and it was all very bold and, uh, um, you know, again, very caring. And and that, I think, is what characterized uh, the shows that uh, 
we had, uh, we were very caring towards our audience and, and our guests. Oh, we certainly were. And I'll just give a, an aside, an extremely funny thing that happened in my own household. Years later, some of these shows were being rotated out of New York City, and um, I don't know on what station. We were never informed. But one no. night, my son, my son who still lived at home at the time, was startled awake, and he saw me on the television in his room. Now he <laughs> didn't had ne- he never really put together that I was doing these shows at that point. Uh, and if he had put it together, he thought they were in New York at a certain time. And you know, he just didn't make. He was like startled, like. How can my mother be sleeping in the next room and I'm watching her on TV? You know, and he, <laughs> he, that was really funny. But um, I think at this point, the shows have gone buried, and I'm glad I have a lot of the tapes. When we do our podcast show, um, I'll make sure that some of the snippets that get seen by the public um, that I do That'd have available. I have some of the shows too, but they were originally recorded on that those big tapes, and I don't even know how to show. I'm I'm missing, I think, two episodes. Uh, The first one I never got. May had lent it to somebody, and it it never made its way back. And then there was a Uh show with fantasy that I think I lent him. And uh, um, but uh, I have all the other shows in some format. Uh, And that'd be fun. You're right. I was wondering how people in Pennsylvania. Had seen uh, my shows, uh, but yeah, when we were house hunting, when we were first moving down there, uh, when people who lived in the house were there, they recognized me and they they were watching my show. Some of them even watched the movie that I made, so I was very yeah, surprised. Yeah, I think that we in the old days, I think some of these channels that had to go on through the night, you know, they just yeah. filled in with stuff. You know, um, but anyway, going back to the Selby project, um, I do have some dreams and aspirations. I, I really feel that kids sit on a lot of rage and confusion and yeah. anger and uh, also at a lighter level, just um, perplexity about how to handle the anxieties of whether to go to college or not, whether to um, take out a loan, how to handle listening to parents fight, you know, on and on. And that if we can make it more acceptable to, even for parents, for example, if kids can make a selfie in their bedroom or wherever that's about a subject on their mind, it will probably come out with more clarity than if they try to sit down with their parents. But there's no reason why they can't show their parents the selfie and then go into discussion. Use right. it as a springboard. You know, to that, help that. Go ahead. No, it's an excellent idea. I think it's it's phenomenal. Yeah. And um, to say, so I would like to really um, use YouTube much more also 
to have kids put up their selfies and to draw those selfies onto a site that I create um, where I invite a guest, an expert, to help with a particular problem. Let's say a kid has brought uh, come up with something that could be all my friends smoke, should I try to smoke? You know, whatever it is, just mm-hmm. making that up. Um, and an expert could make a selfie. Why can't a 50-year-old expert sit in front of their iPhone or uh, their computer, however they want to do it, and they do a two-minute expert advice. And um, we have an ongoing flow of kids having a, 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 a passageway around which they can share what's on their minds, and we also have uh, arrangements with different experts who don't have to travel. We don't even have to come to New York like we used to um, mm-hmm. to get, give advice and give uh, solutions. So um, I'm thinking about this a lot, and I am actually looking for uh, one or two people that would help me. Um, it's really the technology and the and there's some finesse around any of these projects that um, nobody has all, the whole package. And right. the money, you know, with a very limited budget, uh, um, I think the way to go is to find uh, one or two other people and then, you know, share in, in, in the uh, development. So I'm throwing that out to the universe as I sit with you. I'm on the same quest, and actually tomorrow night I'm meeting with uh, somebody, and we've already started uh, talking about this, and we're kind of at the same uh, point, you know, uh, uh, how do we do a uh, low-budget show um, and use social media and YouTube, and uh, we've come to the same conclusion that we just need a small handful of individuals who can do certain things. So uh, we're putting out the universe as well. I'll gladly share whatever resources uh, I come up with. And uh, you're more than welcome to that show as well when it launches. I'd I'd love to interact with you back on video. Yes, yes. And you would be wonderful as one of the uh, ongoing experts on – whatever I can develop. Uh, so, yes, we must continue. Um, and I'm trying to think. I do have a public um, trailer that I just put up last week um, that explains the selfie project. And basically the first thing I ask on the trailer is, what do you get when you combine kids, experts, podcasting, selfies, and positive psychology? And is this of course on you get Facebook? Pardon me? Is this on your Facebook uh, page? Because I'll gladly link to um, it. I'm going to put it up as soon as I get off with you. It, it okay, may be, you. but it may be lost somewhere. But I'll put it up, and it's also uh, going to go up on EnchantedSelf.com, which, is, which I'm using as my major uh, sort of um, – way into understanding all of my work, a sort of portico, some sort of entranceway. So it'll be up there too. And of course awesome. the answer is go ahead. Um, you can 
I, I invite you to promote all of your things on my timeline as well. There's around 5,000 people there. Uh, and okay. soon I'll be on LinkedIn uh, doing pretty much the same thing that I'm doing on uh, Facebook, you know. Uh, so uh, um, once that's up and running, um, you're more than welcome to post uh, things there because uh, um, even though we're each doing our own thing we're, and we are going to be working together, we have worked together in the past and we yeah. have the same intention to help people. So uh, anything okay. I can do to help people, gladly do it. Yes, absolutely. So, um, of course, the answer to the question I was just asking is a selfie project, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. it's, and um, I uh, want to just mention also, I know we're focusing on the selfie project, but the other part of the selfie phenomena that I've been working on is selfies as drama. And that's the other side. That's where kids get a chance in filmmaking to mm -hmm. use phones to make their own, um, to do many of their own scenes in films I've been making so this is not where kids can go and do their own films, which, of course, they can. But this gives a 15-year-old, say, a sense that she is competent enough to be in a film written and designed by a psychologist um, where I trust her enough that she can do her own. Uh, she can take the script, modify it for her own language, and uh, memorize it and do it with a selfie, uh, with an iPhone or an Android, whatever it is. And she can do her own makeup. She can pick her costume. She can decide whether it's going to be done in the backyard or her kitchen. And she can then finally see in a real film that's going to at least go to a lot of film festivals and hopefully more that she it's perfectly adequate. They, she didn't need a um, camera crew, um, although I might need a camera crew for certain other aspects of the film, but it's a great power tool of authenticity and depth that allowing kids to do more of their own work in the creation of an important story. So I consider this part selfies as drama, and I've been making a lot of these films. I now have four years in the same girl's life. Wow. Um, we're just finishing the fourth year. And um, I'm hoping that she's prom the particular actress has promised me one more year. That's her senior year in high school. And I'm just formulating what the script should be as this girl in the story moves towards leaving high school. Um, I'd so, like to do a whole show on that. Right now we're running out of time uh, for okay. the segment, but I want to do a, an entire show on that. So you and I will talk about that uh, after the show. Okay. Uh, can you please share how people can enter your world uh, most effectively yeah. and find okay. out all the things you're doing? Most effectively um, would be to go to enchantedself.com, start there, or on Facebook, um, Dr. 
Barbara Becker Holstein um, or even Barbara Becker Holstein, if you get it all lost. Um, and on and feel free to write to me, barbara.holstein at gmail.com. So um, I think that these are all the easiest ways. And I'm also on YouTube under Barbara Becker Holstein. Um, let me wait a minute. I think I changed that name. I think it's now, and she ends up, well, okay. I think Barbara Becker Holstein can get to me on YouTube. So you see my name, if you can hold on to my name, there are many ways to find me, and you'll, you'll, you'll come into my world, and I'll come into your world. And so thank you very much, Hercules, and I'll let you go, and we'll be in touch. Thank you so very much. I'm looking yeah. forward to working with you again, Barbara. Be well and keep All up right. the awesome work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra's Evolve, and then we'll be back with Brian Walker of Brian's Driving Theater.
and welcome back to Voice of Olympus. Our next segment is Mythic Inspiration, and we will be speaking with Brian Walker of Brian's Drive-In Theater, and we'll be exploring the many faces of Hercules. Uh, Last time Brian was on, he announced his plans to restructure uh, what he is doing and usher in a whole new era for the Drive-In Theater. So I'm looking forward to continuing that conversation. Welcome, Brian. Uh, Good evening, Hercules. How are you? Uh, I'm doing awesomely great. How are you? Oh, fine. I just uh, got back from vacation yesterday, and uh, it was a good one, and I feel energized and uh, ready to tackle the fall semester. (laughs) Fantastic. I I like the spirit, the warrior spirit. Uh, Where did you go? Uh, Gosh, you know, here, there, and everywhere. And don't ask me why it was this convoluted, but uh, South Carolina, Florida, uh, Atlanta, um, Cincinnati, and then up into Michigan uh, and into the uh, Michigan Upper Peninsula. Wow, that that is quite a vacation. Uh, a lot of driving, yes, uh, but but uh, you know, a good time was had by all. So, and, and that's the important thing. Um, is there anything new to report on the uh, drive-in? Because I, I found uh, uh, your thoughts uh, very exciting last time we spoke, and I'm really looking forward to uh, experiencing uh, the new Brian Strive-In Theater. Well, you'll have to look forward to it for a little while longer. Okay. Um, I, I was uh, I was gone for you know almost uh, three weeks and didn't really have. Uh, a lot of time. I, I did uh, do a pilot uh, video of sorts. I haven't uh, mounted it anywhere yet because I'm not really happy with the software package that I used in order to compile the photographs and information and uh, video clips. I mean, it doesn't look bad, but but I'm not really happy with it yet, and I, I, I don't want to release you know, something out into the ether until... Uh, I'm fairly well satisfied with it myself, but it is still coming and uh, you know, doing more uh, vlogging through, for the drive-in, I, I think, um, is actually essential, really, uh, to, to keep it going. And it's something I intend to pursue. It uh, would be, it'd be nice if I had a little more time, um, but I, I will definitely find some uh, here in these next few weeks and try to get something together. Uh, that sounds incredibly awesome. Will you be linking to actual uh, movies? Uh, what I wanted to do, uh, and, and you know, to keep everything, um, you know, uh, above board and uh, uh, legal and all, um, was only going to use uh, film clips from anything that was public domain. Okay. You know, obviously, I, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, step on anybody's copyright or anything like that. Uh, and I, as I, as I, as we mentioned, or as we spoke last month, I still want to keep this in you know, pretty much in five-minute blocks. And obviously, there are some actors who uh, will require, what well, let's say, maybe a second or even maybe even a third five-minute block. But I'm going to try to do it, um, you know, uh, this way in segments. Um, rather than to do you know one let, let's say twenty minute vlog entry versus another that might just be five. No, that that's very wise. Uh, and uh, we had spoken also of uh, the fact that not very many of these actors are still with us. 
Um, and, and, you know, th- that's true. Uh, and it's something I was thinking about just a few minutes ago, as a matter of fact. Great minds think alike. Well, you know, we are fortunate to have, uh, you, know, um, you know, Mark Forrest, uh, he, he, who is still with us. Um, yes. We also have uh, Kirk Morris. And uh, as a matter of fact, right now I'm watching uh, Hercules, Samson, and Ulysses. Uh, Ed them. Fury, who who is now in his 90s, uh, you know, is still with us as well, which uh, I find you know, remarkable. It might be great to try and, to get these guys on the show, and uh, you could interview them, or we could interview them well, together. Uh, th- that would be awesome. Um, I know Mark Forrest does have a uh, social media presence. He would be uh, easy to get a hold of. Um uh, Ed Fury, I, I really have no idea. Um, the last I saw of anything that he had done was probably close to 20 years ago, and I don't really know uh, if contacting him is even an option at this point. But uh, you know, Peter Lupus is also still with us, um, and uh, that might be you know, somebody else to talk to. Talk to Lou Ferrigno, obviously, is still very active. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I uh, and I find his two uh, uh, movies, uh, Hercules and, and the second, uh, the sequel, uh, to be you know, really good and a good representation of the genre. Maybe it was uh, you know twenty years later um, than most of the other films that we usually talk about, uh, but but certainly uh, worthy and a terrific person to talk to. And he's had you know a, a terrific career, a very long career at that. Yes, and uh, he, he was recently in the Scorpion King uh, film, uh, the, I think number five they're up to. I haven't seen the, the past few Scorpion uh, King films, but I remember seeing on the uh, uh, DVD cover Lou Ferrigno. And we had hmm. Sybil Danning on the show uh, not too long ago, so uh, yes, it might I... be fun to get both of them back uh, to talk about the Hercules movies. Oh, that would be very interesting to have both of them on the same show. Yes. Uh, and, Rich, and one more uh, to add in, Richard Harrison, um, who was an American actor uh, and once married to uh, James Nicholson's daughter. And James Nicholson uh, was part of American International Pictures, um, uh, is also still with us. And he you did a lot of films uh, over the course between – the late 1950s and the early 1990s. Hmm. The gears are starting to turn. Um, if <laughs> after the show you can include their names in an email, I'll see what I can do about uh, tracking them down. And uh, let's see if we can uh, get them on and uh, experience them uh, more directly. Well, and, uh, you know, Michael Forrest, who was in the American International, you know, uh, you shot an English uh, Atlas film uh, is still with us. Now I, I don't, uh, you know, have a uh, any kind of representation of him on my website, but uh, he would be another one to perhaps talk to. And um, let me think, Dave Draper, who was never in a Hercules movie, but he had uh, hosted uh, a, a Los Angeles TV show in the '60s, dressed up as a gladiator. He would be a fun interview, um, and he and his—I've uh, interacted with um, uh, Mr. Draper and his wife Laurie um, 
uh, it's been a long time, but they seem to be you know, very nice people um, and uh, you very happy to to see his um, old photos and stuff uh, compiled onto a web page. Yes, that'd be great. And right. uh, one more to throw out at you, uh, the uh, Hercules in The Three Stooges Meet Hercules, uh, which is probably what he's best known for. Uh, Samson Burke uh, is also still with us. He's uh, got to be close to 90 you know, by now. But uh, the last I heard, he was uh, you know, still uh, in pretty good health, um, and he might be another one to, to try to reach out to. And synchronistically, that's one of the two movies I grabbed uh, to watch while working out in the week ahead. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's right in front of me, that movie. Um, and it, it sort of marries uh, you know, two genres. And I, I like it when you can put two genres together into one film, obviously. Uh, and I like the, the comedy and the peplum together. I, I think that works really well. Yeah, it, it works phenomenally well, and that has an evil Hercules, uh, if I remember correctly, that is turned by the Three Stooges uh, uh, and becomes a hero. So, That's correct. Uh, that was a very uh, interesting uh, pl- a plot development, and, and it was funny. I remember uh, enjoying it last time I, I saw it. And you know, now that I think about it, that may have actually been my introduction to the peplum genre. Uh-huh. Um that's well. I, I you know, I, uh, as a child, I loved the Three Stooges. I, I liked all of the comedy teams from the '30s: uh, Laurel and Hardy, uh, the Marx Brothers, the Ridge Brothers, and so forth. And I would always watch, you know, a, a, of those comedy teams. I would always watch their, their films when they would come on, at, you know, late at night, or you know, maybe on a Sunday afternoon or something like that. And uh, I, I can vaguely remember seeing the three stooges meet hercules on tv in the probably early 70s and that probably now that i think about it, that probably was my uh introduction uh to these films i remember in my uh grammar school they showed it where they used to show movies back then in the auditorium uh every uh you know now and so often uh and they would get the reels in and they had the projectors and that was one of the things they showed at the uh, school. So um, I, had, I already knew about the uh, peplum genre, but that was my first exposure to that movie at one of these assemblies that they had. No, I find that interesting because my uh, scholastic experience, <laughs> they, they never showed us anything that you really wanted to watch. Uh, usually it was uh, something something you know, very wholesome and educational on PBS, but you know, uh, not exactly thrilling. Or it might have been one of those old Encyclopedia Britannica, um, you know, educational shorts that uh, they subjected all of us to in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. But I don't remember seeing anything like a Three Stooges movie, so you were <laughs> you were very lucky. Yes, I was. I, I don't think it was the Three Stooges. I think the fact that Hercules was in it and it was a Greek parochial school and Hercules is a Greek ah. hero. I think the, the logic of showing it uh, ran along those those lines. <laughs> well, that makes more sense. But uh, I, like I said, still, that was not my <laughs> that was not my experience in uh, elementary or secondary school. 
Certainly. And that's why you don't have a film scene in elementary uh, school website. You have a, uh, a peplum and uh, other genres uh, website. Very true. But, you know, all of this started around that time in my life, you know, um, mm-hmm. watching, t- you know watching TV as a child. And uh, you only watched it selectively. You know, you, you, chances are you were out outside doing something else or so forth. And TV viewing was, you know, often relegated to, uh, let's say, evening or even for me, late night uh, programming or on, you know, rainy afternoons. Uh, it wasn't something you sat around, you know, doing during a nice day or something like that. You were probably outside playing or something, right? Right. Yes. Uh, with me, it was uh, pretty much whenever I got the opportunity to watch uh, uh, the TV. And as I grew older, um, it uh, yeah, I used to stay up all night and watch uh, these uh, films when they played them on the black and white TV. And along with wrestling, professional wrestling. So uh, uh, that That's was right. my for many, many, many years. And uh, they used to play these films quite a lot back in the day. Uh, and, uh, yes, they did. So even though we didn't have uh, VCRs or DVDs until uh, much, much uh, later, uh, it, it wasn't uh, at all rare to catch uh, – something in the genre playing it almost any week of the um, month. That's a good point. Um, and, and oftentimes those uh, syndication packages that these films were sold into were on a sort of rotation. And after a while, you know, if you were uh, up every Saturday night at midnight or whatever, um, maybe once or twice a year, they would rerun you know, the, the same film. Yeah, and you're right. They they weren't all of that. They weren't all that difficult to uh, you to, to take in again for a second viewing or something like that. And and maybe that was another fun thing about um, you know the way that uh, you know television uh, broadcasting was structured at the time. You know, oftentimes they were just looking to um, you know fill programming with something. That would bring in viewers, but something that didn't cost too much. Right. So uh, bargain entertainment, you know, so to speak. And I think you got a lot of, I think you got a lot of bang for your buck out of some of those syndication packages too. You you did. Plus it was interesting. Like if you'd seen the movie a couple of times to see where they cut it to add more commercials uh, because uh, some of the versions were so cut that they were almost nonsensical if you hadn't seen the film uh, before. Well, and, you know, um, and in repeated viewings, uh, I always liked to try to figure out exactly what language each particular actor or actress uh, was trying to, was speaking. Uh, you know, of course, the, you know, the dubbing, um, it, Whenever dubbing was done by uh, very you know, good professionals, um, they would try to match the uh, the length of speech to you know the actor's lips moving. Now uh, that it looks great, but oftentimes they would you have to stretch it and would populate the dialogue with thing with, with words that n- might not necessarily make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But it looked good, <laughs> and uh, obviously the dialogue uh, 
um, you will change the well your viewing experience. I mean, but you, you've got the visual, but you're also listening uh, to it as well. And some of the speech sometimes sounds very stilted. Um, sometimes the uh, voiceover actors will um, let's say uh, speak a line. And in the middle of it, have sort of an emotional outburst that the character on screen <laughs> typically isn't having. Uh, so it's kind of fun to to watch, uh, you know, from from that aspect as well. And for me, and I know I, I probably talk about this uh, every month, but the cinematography is something that I think overall in practically every uh, peplum. It is actually stunning to see. They've got, you know, for the most part, uh, beautiful sets and lots mm-hmm. of exterior locations, which which make the films look very rich, in my opinion. And yeah, uh, there's a great, there's, I'm sorry. I share that view. Well, and there's a great uh, attention to detail, uh, as I as I mentioned a few minutes ago. You know, the sets are usually. Uh, you know, very well done, very intricate, um, and the set decorations are done well. The costuming, which had to have cost a small fortune, and, and, and many of these movies have you know, a huge number of extras who are all in fairly elaborate costume. I mean, that had to have been pretty expensive. So it is fun to see where uh, the producer spent the money and how the director moved the camera around so you could take advantage of um, what qualities the production had. Mm -hmm. And it helps that the locations they filmed in were the actual uh, uh, locations in many cases where these uh, ancient epics unfolded. So, uh, well, and, of, I, and I don't think it, I think you're right, and I don't think it would have looked right otherwise. Um, and, and you know, shooting uh, you know, these films in their um, you know, native land cer- certainly does make a huge difference. But, you know, for me, as long as it winds up uh, on film, as long as it comes out of the camera, um, you know, looking this good and looking this rich, um, even though some of these movies weren't the most expensive. Uh, I, I think it really gives them kind of an extra layer of, um, you know, it, it elevates their quality somewhat. I agree. And the um, the location becomes like a character or it has character, might be more correct, in the film. Uh, so it, it adds uh, another dimension to the experience and helps you suspend your disbelief. Yeah, very true. And they are these films are so easy to get immersed in. And I think you're right. I think you know the the uh, location shots uh, certainly do help establish um, even the time period. Uh, you know, since they're since they're shot so well, it, it kind of gives you you know, a greater feeling for you know the mythology, uh, you know, the history. Um, the time period during which uh, the, these films are being represented. Um, now, they do have you know, stylistic overtones from the era during which they were shot as well. I mean, some of the uh, you know, hair and makeup you know, is very 
you know, early to mid sixties, which is fine because that's what you have to, you have to modernize the look of it as well. You can't be, it would be almost impossible to give you a representation of what these people looked like and how they dressed 2000 years ago. Because you know, people look different. Um, uh, people are far healthier now, you know, than they were back then. And, and look, you know, the, the primitive, I'm sorry. And live longer too. Oh, well, let us hope. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, um, just going back and in watching these films, and I try to watch uh, you know a few a week uh, so I can stay you know, up on the genre. I mean, the whole uh, strength is a virtue um, trope runs through all of these, um, and it all goes back to the labors of Hercules, certainly. Wow, uh, I looked at the clock. Our hour is just just about our half hour is just sped up. Uh, thank you again. Welcome back from your vacation. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, um, you know basically see what happens on uh, the drive-in theater. Uh, I've enjoyed that uh, site for very many uh, years. I'm greatly honored that uh, um, I get to speak with you uh, about that in the uh, genre. And uh, looking forward to next month. It'll be on us before we know it. That's right. And we'll chat on Labor Day. And uh, how can folks access your world? Uh, well, uh, you can always visit the website at com. And if you'd like to interact uh, with me on social media, I am most active on Facebook. And if you uh, log into Facebook and run a search for Brian's Drive-In Theater. You'll find my page. Awesome. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, may uh, uh, your days ahead uh, until we speak be as pleasant as your vacation. Thank you, and I'll be in touch soon. Thanks. Um, we're going to listen to Brian Henke's The Raven King, which I haven't heard before, but uh, we'll try something new. And then we'll be back with Bill Hinburn of Super Strength Training. Oh, uh-huh. 
Jameson. Welcome back to Voice of Olympus. Today is our Optimal Wellness Show, and I'm greatly honored to be speaking with Bill Hinburn of Super Strength Training. And today we'll be exploring how you can measure your progress and make appropriate changes to your workout. Greetings and welcome, Bill. How are you? Good evening, Hercules. How have you been? I've been fantastic. How about you? Oh, yeah. Enjoying the warm weather. <laughs> Was that said sarcastically? Or? No, I really am. It took okay. a long time. I live in Michigan, so uh, it took uh, quite a while to, uh, you know, start up, uh, you know, summer. And uh, uh, now that it's here, uh, I enjoy it. I listen to all the people that complained about the cold weather, and now they're complaining about the hot weather, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know. It's one of the things you have here. It isn't like living in Arizona or, uh, uh, you know, places like that where every morning you wake up and there's the sun. <laughs> here uh-huh. the weather's constantly changing, you know. They'll tell you it's going to be raining in the evening and uh, no rain. And the next day they tell you it's going to be sunny, then you get rain. You know. So, hey, well, things change. Yes, things do change, and uh, that is an important thing to consider if you're going to enjoy your life, because uh, uh, I, too, find that uh, a lot of people complain about uh, the weather, uh, as you said, and they don't enjoy uh, their day, and uh, uh, it seems kind of sad, you know, to move through life and not enjoy the process as much as you can. Absolutely. So you are a legendary individual. Uh, with a long life history of helping people uh, stay in shape. And you've spoken many times on this show about how, regardless of which system uh, you start off using, for whatever reason you start off uh, using it, eventually you have to find your own way because uh, fitness is a very individual thing. And we've also touched upon uh, many times how what works today might not work tomorrow or next week or next month, but you can count on the change of uh, one day your beloved workout not working for you anymore, your diet not working for you anymore. So uh, change is a part of our life, and uh, it makes sense to embrace that as much as uh, possible. Um, How would you advise people uh, uh, to – approach change in their workout well uh, here uh, uh, human beings uh, have been around for hundreds of thousands of years at the least you know we crawled out of the ocean Mm -hmm. and we have adapted and we no longer look like we did say a thousand years ago or ten thousand years ago or hundred thousand years ago we have adapted um, there are parts of our body that, uh, you know, uh, uh, medical science doesn't even know what it's for. For example, the appendix. They can guesstimate, but they're not really sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was something probably back in the day when we, you know, gnawed on uh, trees and ate dirt. It could be any any, any number of things that uh, uh, all the bodily organs uh, have a function. And... Uh, when you look at it from that standpoint of view, it all has to do with uh, with keeping in tune with uh, uh, what, what is it that you have when you uh, immune system. Okay, mm-hmm. it's all about the immune system. 
uh, even today, you you listen to people talk about uh, eating uh, 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 honey from the bee, okay? But the most important and the best honey is the honey that is located near where you live. Because where you live is the bacteria, both good and bad, that is constantly around you. And the bad bad bacteria is constantly attacking you. So with honey, and I read this uh, oh several years ago, the local honey is the best because it is geared to take on those particular bacteria. Now, as far as training goes, progress and making changes, those are two very distinct things. Measuring progress uh, is vital. There are some people that simply don't don't keep a log or keep a training journal. I personally feel that's they're losing out because I don't think anybody's memory is that good. They mm-hmm. may think they're they're progressing when they're not, or they <clears throat> they may be progressing and they don't realize it. But if you have a journal and you can keep accurate information, you can see what is going on. Right. And that's the important thing. And and as far as training goes, uh, people wonder, uh, you know, uh, uh, how it is that your body uh, adapts, gets stronger, gets bigger. It's... It's it's a comparison of a callus versus a blister. You can develop calluses without ever breaking the skin, drawing mm-hmm. blood, and that's the proper way to develop a callus, is without any damage to the body. You do it at a measured rate, and you can mm-hmm. get very, very thick calluses. If you look at working men that use their hands, uh, uh, electricians, plumbers, brick masons, uh, farriers, if there's any left, you know, blacksmiths and what have you. They use their hands, and you can see the calluses. And you can also sense if someone does not do heavy work. Uh, say they they just don't use their hands. Their hands are very soft. Okay? Now, if you start doing a job, that requires a lot of uh, effort, you're using your hands, if you do it too quickly, you damage the hand. You damage the skin, okay? You're not taking your time, okay? And uh, uh, I have seen this with, uh, you know, people that, uh, say, lay tile, uh, you know, ceramic tile and what have you. Uh-huh. Uh, so they're going too fast. Now, this analogy is the same, can be applied to progressive resistance exercise. If you go too fast, you don't give the body a chance to heal, causing blisters, right? causing muscle tears, causing possibly, in a severe situation, ligament damage. And it's not a good thing, naturally. Okay? So you have to do it at a even 
rate uh, as far as resistance, amount of resistance, number of repetitions, and I highly recommend a single set system to begin for the reasons I just gave. That's, that that sounds uh, commonsensical, and uh, the, the analogy is fantastic. Um, go on. Now, if if you if you continue with a one set system, okay, you you start out with a uh, poundage, say you you're using a barbell, okay, and you start mm-hmm. out with a weight where you can do eight repetitions and no more. Set the weight down. Now you go to another exercise for another body part, and you do the same thing. No more than eight repetitions. How do you know if you've done enough, or how do you know if you've done too much? This is how you know. The next day, you should wake up, and you should have slight soreness. Okay? If you have no soreness... You could have done more than eight repetitions. You're not. You're. You're kidding yourself. You didn't push yourself. Okay. If you have no soreness at all, if you have severe soreness, say for example, you were doing curls. A severe soreness would be you'd wake up in the fetal position and you had difficulty straightening your arms. That is too much. You put too much strain. Too quickly. You know, you you hear people, no pain, no gain. That's rubbish. Pain is your friend. Pain is telling you to knock it off. You're doing damage. Stop. Whatever you're doing, you know. If you're hitting your head against the wall, stop. Why? Because it hurts. Why does it hurt? Because you're you're damaging your head, you know. And it's the same way with training. So the next day when you wake up, like I say, you should have... (laughs) Slight soreness and all the muscles that you've used, okay? You continue with this routine. Now, the the interesting thing about human beings, again, we've been around a while, is that we adapt. We adapt to to certain, you know, circumstances. And the adaptation, if done long enough and through the various generations, in other words, from father to son to grandson to great-grandson, if it is done that way, it will actually start changing the DNA. Now, I say this because you have seen people, okay, you have met an individual, be it a man or a woman, and then you meet their parents, and you see their parents in them. You know, height, bone structure, color of eyes, Mm -hmm. facial structure, maybe even their voice. Also, their mental capacity. They might be good good at math or they might be good uh, with their hands or something. You've heard people remark, oh, man, he gets that from his father. Or uh, Mm -hmm. a young lady, oh, just like her mother, okay? It's Uh right in the DNA. You see? And and so when you're doing the various exercises and you're training, you have to keep that in mind, that you are altering ever so slightly 
your physical structure. Now, the power of concentration also enters into this. I remember as a kid growing up, I had friends that could do their homework, watch TV, carry on a conversation all at the same time. Their power uh-huh. of concentration was was re- remarkable, at least to me, because I couldn't do that. If I was carrying on a conversation, I, I, I couldn't focus on several different things at one time. I'm just not capable of doing that. I start to make errors, mistakes, and, 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 and what have you. But some people can do that. Right. Okay? And the same holds true in training. The power of concentration. You've seen people concentrate. Concentrate on the muscle. If you're developing your bicep, think about that bicep. Think in your mind. Close your eyes when you're doing that curl or that, uh, um, uh, or you're doing a uh, press or what have you. What, what, whatever muscle that you're involving, concentrate on that muscle and say to yourself, this muscle is going to get bigger. I'm making this muscle stronger. It's auto-suggestion. Power of suggestion. Henry Ford once said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you You're are right. right. Yes. And that's Henry Ford. And, that's, and that is the one thing that people have to realize. If you start out saying, oh, I'm going to train again today. i got to do this. All right. I'm just going to go through the motions. Okay. What am I going to do here? Okay. I do eight, uh, eight repetitions. One set, I max it out, okay, fine. I can't do any more. And this goes on for weeks and months and years. You're not progressing. Why are you not progressing? Because you're not taxing yourself. You're not overloading. You're simply loading. You're simply doing what you've always been able to do. If you do what you've always been able to do, that's all you will be able to do. You have to get to the point where after eight reps, you suddenly realize you can do a ninth rep or a tenth rep or a twelfth rep. I've seen people jump several repetitions, okay? You know, they'll max out at eight repetitions, okay? Uh They'll change their routine. They'll add some weight, you know, and, 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 and they'll move on. And I would work it up to 12 repetitions, okay? And when they can uh-huh. hit 12, they add weight. The next time, they start at eight repetitions again. And boom, they not only can do eight, but they can do 10. And then there's other times that they're stuck at 10 repetitions. They cannot do any more than 10. So what do you do in a case like that? There are there are several things. Uh, one of our other guests on the show, uh, Ryan Foley, um, he started uh, Furion uh, Strength, and that, that's his journey. Um, he had suggested to me doing something called the Five System, uh, and uh, uh, initially I resisted it, uh, but I decided to give it a try. And for now, uh, it helped me break because the problems in the mind I'm, I find a lot of times, like for instance, I couldn't do a 300 pound bench press uh, until I, and I, it'd always be like a couple of pounds under. 
uh, until I put the wrong amount of weights on there and I bench pressed 330 uh, without realizing it. <laughs> so the obstacle was yes. in my head. It wasn't in my muscles, but I thought it was in my muscles. And the same with this. This broke me out of the 8 to 12 uh, and then increased it and, and because I wasn't doing uh, 8 uh, to 12 repetitions. Uh, all of a sudden, I was just doing 5. And uh, the way the system works is you do uh, you take the lightest weights you have and you do five reps. Then you go up uh, five pounds and you do five reps. And you keep going until you can't do five reps anymore. And then you start doing backwards. So it's kind of like a pyramid type of thing. And I found that my progression got totally disturbed and I was able to move much further into the heavy poundages much faster because it broke the way I was thinking about it. And that's pretty much it. The problem was in my own brain and not in, you know, uh, something in my brain was creating boundaries and obstacles where there really weren't any. That's interesting that you bring that up because that's exactly what I was, that's why I started to laugh. That was exactly what I was going to uh, 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 continue with. When I okay. asked you, what changes do you make? I was expecting you to say something different, but you were right on. There was a strong man, Herman Gorner, I believe it was. I could be mistaken, but I believe it was Gorner. Uh, they deliberately put more than the than the weight on the bar, okay? And he lifted. He didn't realize how much he was lifting. And that has happened several times. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I have done. And I call it a kind of a Russian roulette type of arrangement. I have several barbell plates, you know, and they have the the poundage on them. Well, everybody knows that unless you're you have an Olympic uh, calibrated barbell, you know, that is that is measured to the gram or the ounce or whatever, that barbell plates are kind of a if come maybe. That's a rough estimation of what uh, uh, the plate actually weighs. If it says mm-hmm. 10 pounds, it's probably, uh, I'd like to think it's a, a, at least 10 pounds or maybe uh, some ounces over. I've seen 10-pound plates weigh as much as 2 pounds over, 12 pounds, okay? And, and uh, you know, they were marked 10 pounds. I've seen other plates, 10-pound uh, plates, 9 pounds, you know, far less. So what I have is I've weighed a lot of my barbell plates, so I know the ones you know, uh, uh, I know that several of them are over, several of them are under, okay? Mm-hmm. So I never know exactly what I am lifting, okay? Now, mm. this, is not, this, this is not a big deal if you're doing 40 or 50 pounds, okay? It'll, it, it, you know, it can, it can be off, you know, five pounds or whatever. But when you get up into the hundreds of pounds, you know, uh, it it can make a big difference, and and this is the thing people have to understand. I have always been of the opinion that uh, in a perfect world, your barbell plates wouldn't have any numerals on them, no no indication of any resistance. In fact, it would probably be better lifting in the dark, okay, and have mm. somebody have somebody add resistance. You don't know how much resistance it is. You understand what I'm saying? Say yeah. you, you you mentioned the 300 pounds, okay? So they put a blindfold on you. And the individual, your training partner, whatever, uh, spotter, whatever, uh, it's his job to add resistance. You say, okay, Tom, 
add 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 resistance. Don't say add five pounds. Don't say add one pound. Just say mm-hmm. add resistance. It's entirely up to him. So you don't know what you're lifting. Okay. Now this will bring the the uh, optimist and the pessimist out of you. In other words, <laughs> you follow me? If that yeah, person yeah. puts a light amount on there, okay, or a super heavy amount, he adds 10 pounds, okay, it's your job to press that barbell. You see what I'm saying here? You yes, are going to press it. Now, mm-hmm. if, if if you have it in your head where, wow, this is really heavy, wait a minute, that might be only one pound. It shouldn't be that overwhelming, okay? And then it could be 10 pounds and you press it without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, set the barbell down. Take, the, take the, uh, the blindfold off. Look at the amount. You see what I'm saying? And if it's an additional 10 pounds, you know, you could have been in a, in a sticking point. That sticking point was in your mind. It's of your own volition. It's of your own of your own making. Okay, and you are uh-huh. right. You 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 struck something. There's mind over matter. It's just like bending uh, uh, iron bars, bending wrenches. I know several guys that can bend an adjustable plate loading, uh, or I'm sorry, an an an, an adjustable uh, uh, forged uh, uh, wrench. Okay, drop mm-hmm. forge wrench. This is you know this is the real deal. Ten inch. Now bend it to U. Now thirty years ago, if somebody told me that uh, that they could do it, I didn't believe it. I'm the resident cynic when it comes to feats of strength. Okay, same with uh, the same way with horseshoes. I always thought they were tampered. You know, annealed or whatever. You can do a lot of things with metal. Okay, mm-hmm. but I've actually witnessed people actually bend. Wrenches like that, or bent steel bars. So a lot of it, as I am told by them, is mind over matter, and they would know. The other thing is pain, how you deal with pain, how you deal with discomfort. And you know as well as I do, again, we'll use your 300-pound barbell. Okay. When you <laughs> When you are pressing that barbell, there's a certain amount of discomfort there. Would you agree? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. How do you handle that comfort? You have to push it out of your mind. You have right. to say, this bar is going up. Whatever I've got, it's going up. I'm not, you know, I'm not taking no for an answer. And that has a lot to do with it. But keeping accurate records, I I I focus on that because... Our topic today is measuring progress and making changes. Measuring Mm -hmm. the progress, you know, you have to measure. You have to say how many uh, uh, repetitions, uh, how much resistance, how many sets, okay, and and, uh, how many days per week, how much rest time between your workout sessions. This is all crucial, and it should be documented. And I think I've mentioned this before some of our other uh, sessions, when people have a training journal, and I've looked at a lot of them, rarely have I ever seen the most important piece of information. 
How do you feel while you're doing these exercises? Do you feel like you're really energized? Do you feel exhausted? How do you feel at the end? Do you feel like you still have some more energy in the tank? Or do you feel completely spent? These are important things. What did you eat during the day? Okay, what did you eat the day before? Did you stay up late? Do you have any stress? Stress from work? Stress from your personal life? Did you train in the morning? What time did you train? Did you train in the evening? Was it after a meal? Was it just before a meal? If you keep all this information in a journal and you notice a pattern after a while, and that pattern, there are certain red flags. And every, again, every individual is different. That's why you have to experiment what works for you. Okay? Some people thrive on uh, a training period uh, an hour after their evening meal. That's when a lot of people train. A lot of the, you know, the the biggest reason is is, uh, employment. Okay? Whatever their vocation is. Some people thrive on training at 6 a.m. in the morning or earlier. They find that they're the most energetic at that time. They have the least amount of distractions. That's another thing. If you notice in your training, was there any distractions? You know, did the phone ring? Take the phone off the hook, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting thing, distractions. That's why a lot of people don't like training in a gym. It's nothing but distractions constantly. You know, you want to go to a machine and there's some dunce sitting on it with a uh, cell phone, you know, hogging it. You don't want to do that. It's best to train uh, at home. Some people like music. Other people want peace and quiet. It is all geared around the individual. And, you know, like I said earlier about adaptation, there's an old saying, every routine works till it doesn't. Till it doesn't, yes. And the adaptation process goes into effect. Okay? The 300, I use this 300-pound bench press because you can identify with that. The 300-pound bench press, okay, you add weight and you get to the point where you can do eight repetitions uh, uh, and you move, let's say, up to 12, you've added four repetitions with the same amount of resistance. Now what do you do? You drop back to eight, you add resistance. It may be a pound. The higher you go in poundage, you know, 300, 350, 400, it is best to add the least amount of weight. That's where your progress will be long-lasting. I've seen people, you know, oh, we're going to go through five and ten pound plates on. And then, uh, you know, in six weeks we're going to add five and ten pounds and all this. Well, you're only going to do that so many times. Okay. And the most important thing is to enjoy what you're doing. If you get to the point where every workout you go to, it's like a torture session, human nature being what it is, you're going to make excuses not to right. do it. If you enjoy doing something, you're going to make excuses to do it. Okay. Oh, I love that roller coaster. Let's go on it again. You see what I mean? Yes. 
And one of the things I found is helpful is uh, uh, I use uh, wrist weights and ankle weights and a weighted vest now. Yeah. And uh, and I find that that adds resistance painlessly <laughs> and uh, uh, so it's like a two and a half pound with the hand weights each hand it's five pounds for the uh, ankle weights and the the vest is like eight pounds so just by adding those I can add resistance and you know and again start myself moving because sometimes the five pound jump is too much yes the great Alan Calvert who was the one uh, the American who introduced the uh um uh, adjustable uh, barbell, dumbbell, and kettlebell, okay? He mass-produced it so he could reach uh, the rural farm boys, so he could make sure everybody – it was – actually, he made it affordable. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Even though it was very expensive for the day, he made it within reach, okay? He had a shot-loading uh, globular – uh, barbell, dumbbell, and kettlebell. Uh, lead shot, about the size of a uh, BB. And he was very adamant about adding very, very small amount as you progress. He didn't like the big jumps, okay? Even mm-hmm. though later on he had the uh, um, uh, plate loading barbell, you know, with plates. And. Uh, uh, one and a quarter pound plate was the smallest. So anytime you you added resistance, you had you know you added one and a quarter plate on one end of the bar and a one and a quarter pound weight on the other end of the bar. So it's 250. I'm sorry, uh, two and a half pound increments. Okay, at two and a half pounds is a lot. Mm-hmm. And years years ago, back in the uh, uh, late 60s, 70s, I would. Uh, I would use washers. Hmm. I, I haunted junkyards, okay? Now they're prevalent. There, there are manufacturers of washers, and you can have your name stamped on them, and uh, the amount is stamped on them, and some of them are stainless steel, and then some of them are painted and all this stuff, okay? But if you, if you get a one-inch washer, in other words, one that will slide over the bar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you've got several washers, you're in business. Put a washer on each end. That's ounces. That's not even nowhere near a pound. So if you're in a sticking point, add a couple of washers, one on each end. I will and add another washer and, and fool around until you can you can do it. And then uh, there's another way you can get past the sticking point. You can take an extra day of recuperation. If you have one day of recuperation between your your training sessions, take two. Another way is take a week layoff, one week. Come back, drop all your, do the same exercises. Don't change any of the exercises or the order in which you do them. And drop all your resistance 10% roughly 10%, and then start up again. Whatever you were doing, a number of sets, repetitions, start up again. Many times that will be just enough to, one, that we gave your body a chance to recuperate more, Mm -hmm. okay? 
plus the fact you're starting out with less resistance, you're continuing out with less resistance, and you feel refreshed, and a lot of times that will get you past the sticking point. You'll be surprised. That's that's another way. And again, this should be entered into your training log. What was the result of doing that? And make very meticulous notes. How do you feel? What did you eat? Again, stress, work, personal life. You took a week off. You took uh, uh, whatever. You dropped the uh, the uh, uh, exercise amounts, uh, you know, 10% on each one. And you continue on from there. And many times people are absolutely amazed at that. There are some routines that, that uh, people just cannot uh, gain strength or size from. It's just not for them. There's a very right. popular routine that Reg Park did uh, uh, back. Uh, he was the one who created it back in the early 50s, and that's a five times five. Okay, mm-hmm. And it's brutal. I mean, it's absolutely balls to the wall brutal. It's, it's just it's <laughs> it is something else. Okay, many people can do it, but not for very long, because it it requires heavy resistance, and it's five sets. And when you're doing a set, this is another thing. When you do a set, say you're doing the first set, okay? Uh-huh. You finish that first set, you should be completely spent. Okay, that fifth repetition. You can't do a sixth repetition. In other words, there's none of this. Well, I'm going to save myself for because I got to do five more, uh, you know, sets. So I I have to save some. No, that's not how you do it. You don't save any any of the exercises. You don't save yourself for the next set or the third set, the fourth, the fifth. None of that. Five repetitions in the first set. That fifth repetition has to be all out. You simply cannot do a sixth repetition. Then you rest. Now, people will ask, well, how long do I rest? Until you catch your breath. Okay. Wow. And then, <laughs> that's right. And then you go on to the second set. This takes power. This is, this is the power of will coming out here. Believe me. You have to have enormous willpower. In the second set, same way, five reps. Can't do six. There's no way. It's impossible for you to do the sixth rep. Then you rest till you catch your breath. You're ready to do the, the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one, okay? And, again, I, I emphasize, not, not many can people, it's, it's, it's brutal, and it's not that many exercises, okay? I saw the routine. Mm-hmm. His his uh, uh, strength and bulk training for weightlifters and bodybuilders. Another good one is training for power. He also has that 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 training course. But Reg Park was famous for heavy weights and doing uh, 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 low reps. Low reps and, yeah. uh, sets. And he trained uh, when he came to the United States and uh, his various tours. He would always look up uh, Marvin Eater. Marvin Eater was another phenomenon that would that would train like that. But this is this is all extremely important 
uh, uh, when you're training is to concentrate on what you're doing and don't uh, don't have it in your mind that well I've got to save my energy for that fifth set no take one set at a time that's the way they're meant to take that that's the way they they are meant to be taken okay now the next question many people have mm-hmm. there is um the uh, the positive side of the exercise and there's the negative. The negative if you're doing side. a curl, if you're doing a curl with a barbell, okay, two arms, mm-hmm. you're doing a straight curl, you curl it up. That's the positive. Okay? The negative is when you extend your arms back down to your thigh with the barbell. That is a very valuable movement. That in itself if if there was a way that you could have the barbell, um, say in your power rack, where it was in the the your arms were in a contracted position, and the only part of the exercise you did was the negative part. In other words, you never curled the bar up. You you took it off the uh, off the rack. And uh-huh. you did the negative. You straightened your arm down and very slowly, as slow as you can possibly do it. If you did just that part of the exercise, you follow me, Hercules? Yeah, I follow you. You you didn't do the positive part. You did eight repetitions of just the negative part. You would gain. You would gain more than if you did just the positive. You've seen people do curls when you were a kid, okay? And you're, you're, right. You're, you're training with your buddies and everything. And everything was the positive, the, 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 the positive side of the exercise. And then the negative, you just, you just let the weight hang down. You just let it go back down. And then you curled it up, you know, the positive part. And then you just let the bar go back down. You didn't do any. It wasn't slow. It was very quick, like you're, you know, almost going to drop it, Okay. That's not good. The good part of it is the negative part. And you let it, the slower you let that bar down. And if you do that, if you haven't been doing negatives like this for a while, do that in your next, uh, uh, choose an exercise and concentrate on just the negative part. Holding that bar as long as you can until it the, the weight just your your muscles simply give out and you have to go back down. But it very slowly all the way down. Believe me, as sure as we're sitting here, mm-hmm. you will be very sore the next day. And that soreness tells you that it's it's good. Good soreness. You, I, it's, yes. I will try that with tonight's uh, workout. Um, but we'll take a short uh, break. Um, and we're going to listen to Dream Within a Dream, and then we'll be back in three minutes. Great. Thank you. 
Greetings and welcome back to Voice of Olympus. Tonight is our Optimal Wellness Show, and we are speaking with Bill Hinburn of Super Strength Training. And uh, I've learned uh, a lot in uh, this uh, uh, segment, and I can't wait to try uh, or retry because it's been many, many years since I focused on negative uh, movements. So I'm going to start uh, tonight. Uh, thank you, Bill. That is an awesome thing. I hadn't thought of uh, reintroducing negative movements. Well, it's just one of the many, um, um, I don't want to say tricks, techniques is a better word. Techniques to uh, uh, um, improve upon your, uh, your, your training. You don't want to uh, um, waste energy. You want every movement, Everything that you sh- you should do should be calibrated to get the best benefit in both you know strength and size. Um, and when when you're talking about um, getting the best out of a routine, um, you have to do what works for you. Right. There may be somebody that is getting a great deal of benefit out of a routine. It's good for them. It might be disastrous for you and vice versa. You may stumble across something that works very well for you, but they get absolutely nothing out of it. I know people that train every day of the week. I know people that train on just single sets, and they have for years. I know people that train one day a week. Mm-hmm. I know people that in any one training session, they only do two, maybe three exercises. Some people do one exercise. <coughs> Excuse me. So whatever works for them. Some people train, uh, you know, six days a week. The important thing is not to overtrain. Right. Sometimes the enthusiast, you get carried away with your own enthusiasm and your 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 best intentions can can sabotage all your efforts i know really me one of the things and it it is more trick than the technique Uh, i don't like resting i I love working out so uh given the fact that at this particular point in time i have like a small corner in our house and uh, a home gym and i have no one to spot me i have have those uh 
uh, current, uh, um, you know, issues that I need to, uh, you know, basically work around. But I find that if I take days off on a scheduled uh, basis, it derails my uh, workout. Whereas if I plan to work out uh, twice a day, I know that at least four times during the course of the week, I won't be able to, to maintain that because something else will come up that demands my attention. So I built in like a fail safe system where I'll get like two days of rest, um, but they're not on the same day. And this is like the unpredictability of how much poundages you're using. So I pay attention to my body. Like today I'm exhausted but my arms don't feel exhausted. So when I think about exercising my arms, um, I feel very enthusiastic toward my workout. If I think about doing anything else, um, I, I feel tired. And uh, I have been, you know, everything else has gotten worked out within the past couple of days. Uh, so, you know, it'll be good if I focus on my arms. So I kind of, I, I have that flexibility built into it, but it's not a technique. It's more a trick. You know, I'm tricking my body like the, uh, like the inadvertently adding the additional 30 pounds and doing 330. So I try to incorporate that into my workout where um, I do get the rest, but I don't know when I'm going to get the rest. And so I have to listen to my body. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a very good point. Listening to your body. Uh, your your body understands only one thing, and that's discomfort, mm-hmm. stimulus. That's all it understands. It doesn't know anything about a weight. It doesn't know if it's uh, if if you're curling a can of soup or a, or a two pound dumbbell. It doesn't know anything about what you are moving. All it knows is that there's resistance and there's Everybody has a fixed number of muscle fibers. You may have more muscle fibers than another individual, say in your arm, okay? Some have more, some have less, okay? It's a fixed number. It never changes. You never add muscle fibers. Hmm, I didn't know that. You increase the size of the muscle fibers. That's what you do. Now, another thought, and a lot of people don't resist, don't understand it. When you are training, everybody is thinking muscle. Increase strength of the muscle and size of the muscle. What about the bone? What about the ligament? What about the tendon? When you are training, you are increasing the size of your bones ever so slightly. And it can be measured, okay? A very good friend of mine uh, has gone to, I think it's eastern Michigan, and had uh, his bone density uh, measured over a period of, of years, okay? He started this years ago. And his bone size has increased. And the exercises that he does are... Well, they're very similar to isometric exercises, mm-hmm. okay, with a bar and a power rack and what have you. And there's not many exercises, but they will leave you exhausted. When you're done with the routine, you're exhausted. And he did this experiment to see if it would increase the bone density 
and it had. But it only makes sense. As far as your body's concerned, if you use it, it'll keep it. If you don't use it, it'll get rid of it. Right. You've heard people say, oh, when you get older, muscle turns to fat. No, muscle does not turn to fat. Muscle cannot turn to fat, and fat cannot turn to muscle. What does happen, with men especially, as you get older, especially after the age of, of uh, 50 and uh, 60 and 70, as you go through those years, you your muscle mass will shrink unless you do heavy training. The muscle mass will shrink. Now, you've seen people wear, you've seen men wear suspenders, right? Right. Okay. Not many young men wear suspenders. They don't have to. Older men, many older men have to wear suspenders. Why is that? Because the the big muscle mass areas, shoulders and hips, the buttocks, that's the muscle mass. It shrinks. It naturally shrinks on men. Okay? And that's why they wear the suspenders. They keep their pants up. A lot of people don't see that, but it's true. Yes, and it's true. the same and the same holds through with, with losing the muscle mass. You'll see men their shoulders will become more narrow. They won't have that the heavy deltoids and their buttocks muscles. That glutus glutamus maximus will shrink. And that's why you have to do the uh the heavy squats. You you attack mm-hmm. the the uh the large muscle groups because they will naturally shrink. It's just a natural phenomenon. And with senior citizens, especially women, you know, what women are taking all these supplements for you know, to correct uh, uh the uh bone uh bones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They should be doing they should be doing exercises, heavy resistance, progressive resistance exercise. It will it will help those bones uh, and keep those bones from uh, you know becoming uh, you know thinner and so on, thin walled. But that's just you know if a person can take a pill rather than you know, exert any energy, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to take the pill. They're going to take the pill, yeah. Yeah, you know, people, you know, take vitamins. We have the most expensive urine in the world. And, you know, I mean, honestly, you can get a lot, if you eat correctly, and I'm sure you do, vegetables, mm-hmm. fruit, uh, meats, fish, and what have you, you'll get enough nutrients. Some people are so afraid that they're not going to get enough that they're actually, you know, just wasting their money, you know, and and some vit you can uh, you can overdose on some vitamins. I think it's the I'm trying to think back when I was when I was fooling around with vitamins. The uh, I think it's the oil based vitamin A. I was taking too much vitamin A and I broke out in a rash. Ooh, yeah. So you can take too much uh, of the vitamins, but. You know, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of the old timers, vitamins didn't even exist before the 20s. That's when they were, well, I shouldn't say exist, they always existed, okay? We deemed mm-hmm. them vitamins, you know, we isolated them. 
we didn't have a name for them and we didn't you know we didn't isolate them and say this is vitamin a b c d you know so there were no supplements we had foods back then that were deemed very uh, valuable you know for nutrition but we didn't have any vitamins before the 20s you know you were supposed to eat uh, uh, eat properly and stay away from certain uh, foods but then again you have to remember back then you know uh, a, a lot of the employment was hard physical labor right you ate anything and it wasn't nailed down you you know you ate you ate very very well you know and it was a lot of fresh food again before the 1930s you didn't have refrigeration mhm so you ate foods that were in season and you canned foods you know when they were in season for the off season so it's just a different life you know today you can get any food you want year round i remember and my grandmother i think i mentioned this to you before i remember my grandmother said uh-huh. when she was a, a a kid back in the, you know before the 20s um an orange was a special thing she would put an orange in my christmas stocking and you know the <laughs> kid what the hell is this orange i get an orange anytime <laughs> but it was symbolic because it reminded her of when she was a kid her parents would put an orange in her stocking. That was special. Mm-hmm. You know, an orange in December? Come on. You know, this is Michigan. You're not going to get an orange anytime. You know, they're all shipped in, you know, from Florida in when they were in season, you know, and and, and, and stuff like that. So it, it's just a different world, you know, uh, where in many ways we're very spoiled. We can get... Uh, all all kinds of food. You know, people will ask, well, how come people eat all these uh, you know, these foods? They should eat uh, uh, these other foods. Well, maybe they don't have the money to pay for these other foods. You know, the the the, uh, uh, the cost of of eating properly is far more expensive than the low cost, which uh, of foods that are high in carbohydrates. You know. You can buy an awful lot of macaroni or rice, you know, right? And flour, you know, <laughs> but you can't buy an awful lot of meat, you know, if you don't have very much money, you know, or fish or anything. So that's, that's these are excellent points, and uh, I wish you had more time to go into them. I'm I'm enjoying our conversation as always, and I'm learning a lot from it. Uh, how about we talk about the regional foods uh, next time? Because that was an excellent point. I'm gonna uh, see if I could purchase some local uh, honey. Uh, next and tonight I'm going to play with the negative, uh, um, the negative resistance. But uh, thank you again, Bill. You're awesome. How can folks learn more about all uh, the wonderful things you're doing with Super Strength? Well, you can uh, uh, you can uh, uh, type in uh, www.superstrengthtraining.com. Go to my website and sign up for my daily newsletter. I'm Which sure you awesome. get it. Yeah. Yes, and I, and uh, uh, I just need your first and last name and uh, your email address, and uh, then you'll know what uh, what uh, you know I talk about constantly. I, I give a lot of good information about a lot of the old timers, uh, movie stars, how they trained, what they did, and uh, uh, some of the topics. Incidentally, honey does not have a shelf life; does not spoil. Right. 
The net, the raw organic honey, yes. Right, and that's the best thing to get, is especially local. Local is important because it has uh, all the uh, the uh, immunization properties. Because the bees are are fooling around with all the flowers locally, so a lot of the uh, uh, bacteria and what have you uh, is locally. So that's in your favor. It's been a real pleasure, Hercules. Same here, Bill. I'm looking forward to next month already. <laughs> Take care. Absolutely. All right, sir. Bye now. Good night, sir. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember... All manifestations of the divine are equally valid.